Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Terry Kaler. Let me remind you about Terry's background. He's from Cuero, Texas, which is a small town southeast of San Antonio. Terry graduated with his degree in marketing from Texas A&M, and he was the founder and president of Ray Cook Golf back in 1994. In 2011, he became the founder and president of Score Golf, which produced some of the most innovative wedges on the market with their V-Sold design. 2014, he revitalized the Ben Hogan golf brand and became their president and CEO for a few years. He has over a half a dozen golf club patents and nearly 100 iron wedge and putter designs to his credit. Terry has been known for years as the Wedge Guy and has written numerous articles and blogs about wedge play, and I am very thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Terry, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. So, Terry, it's it's been a minute since we talked to you. Catch us up. What's been going on with you? Well, I've been uh, adjusting to semi-retirement, but I realized that you can only fish and play golf on the nice days, so I figured, what am I going to do on the days that aren't so nice? and started working on some new wedge things that I hope to have out later this year. Not sure with who yet. Not sure if we're starting a new company. Not sure if we're going to be uh, linking up with one of the established golf brands. But uh, the prototype testing and the and the design has been real exciting, doing things that nobody's ever done in wedges before, uh, including me, which I consider myself uh, kind of a visionary in the category. But <clears throat> I won't beat on that drum too much till you ask about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Terry, to that end, right? I mean, we've talked in the past about how wedges haven't seen a whole lot of technology updates and new designs and things, you know, drivers, we see it all the time, iron sets, we see it all the time. So wedge technology, and, and I know you may not be able to get into too much detail or whatnot, but can you talk about some of the things that you're seeing or thinking about that, boy, wedges could use a little help with this? Well, you know, just doing a, a little project, uh, going through the, the new Golf Digest hot list, uh, looking at, you know, what the little, little blurb synopsis was on all the wedges that made hot list. And, and there's, there's nine wedges in here. This is what really gets me. There's nine wedges in here that received a gold award. So they scored the highest. And of the nine wedges that received a gold, eight of them are talking about grooves and face texture. And, and that amazes me because the rules regarding grooves and face texture have not changed since 2010. So if you go look at last year's hot list and the year before and the year before and the year before and the year before, they're all talking about grooves and face texture. Well, if you were doing your homework in 2011, you were pushing that rule to the max. And how can you still be pushing your technology in grooves when the rule hasn't changed on what you can do. And I'm a little puzzled by that. The other thing that gets me, and, and again, I, I, a friend of mine told me I was the most respectfully irreverent guy that he ever knew, and so we'll use that term. I'm respectfully irreverent. And these guys all got to try to sell wedges and this kind of thing. But they all talk about increased spin, but I have been through every website on every golf company, and I cannot find anybody that will quantify spin as to how much more they're going to give you. But yet they're all talking about their golf ball has, you know, more ball speed. They're quantifying driver speed. They're quantifying their COR. 
you know, this is a game of numbers, right? And if you tell me you can give me more spin, I need you to give me a number. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we push spin and face textures as far as the USGA will let us go. But when I look at the wedges in, I pulled out a, a 2012 hot list issue that I had kept, which is seven years ago, and they're all the same golf clubs. So, you know, I'm, I, I could do a whole show with you about why that is, but the fact is wedges are just, they're not changing enough. And you look at drivers and irons and golf balls and spikes on our shoes and, you know, there's a tremendous amount of technology being applied, but it's just not happening in wedges. So everybody's left to talk about their groove and face texture, I guess. So where is there left? What's, what's the new wedge frontier? Does it have to do with bounce? Does it have to do with, you know, thickness of the head? Does it have to do with shaft? Where, where do you see the next frontier for wedges? I think it's all of that. I think that, that we have to throw, Without giving away too much, if if your listeners, any of them know my work that I did with my score wedges and the work I did with the TK wedges for Hogan before I left there, you know, we can make a wedge more forgiving. Nobody, You will not see a wedge ad anywhere that uses the word forgiving. And yet my conversations with thousands of recreational golfers, they, they suffer from their wedges, modern wedges, as they were 15 years, 20, 30, 50 years ago. Wedges by their design are very volatile in that which groove you hit the ball on really has a big impact on what that ball is going to do. So uh, we see wedges on robotic testing that you hit it down on the third or fourth groove, you hit it two or three grooves higher, you hit it two or three grooves higher still, you hit it two or three grooves higher still, and you see these dramatic differences in smash factor and ball flight, launch trajectory, spin. Uh, we, we've tested some wedges on, on a robot to the top, uh, top brands of wedges. I won't name any of them, but they're top brands, uh, the top brand. And we see that depending on where you hit the ball on the face of the wedge, this is a, a full swing 54 degree wedge, just full disclosure. We saw spin variances as high as 60 and 65% from one impact wow. point to another, to another impact point 12 millimeters over which is less than half an inch. And when you're getting that variance in spin, and we're seeing a three to four degree different launch angle, we're seeing a 15, 18, 20% reduction in smash factor. So, I mean, your listeners, and I know I don't know how many of you are out there, but you know that shot, the ball's sitting up a little bit, and you hit hit the ball and you feel it high in the face. You know you've made high face impact. And before you even look up, you're wondering how short is it going to be? Don't we all know that, Chris? Yes. Well, why does that have to be? I can make a driver that you can swing at 105 miles an hour and hit it anywhere on the face and get a pretty good result. But I'm giving you a wedge that you have to hit it on exactly the right groove every time to get the distance you're after. I mean, I, I just think that we need to throw wedges out and start over. Of What's the optimum way to design a high loft golf club for scoring? And that that's what I'm working on. So, Terry, uh, for so many of us who don't understand all the ins and outs of what our golf club does for us, when we get to wedges, there are a couple things that we're here a lot about. We hear about bounce now, and to your earlier point, we hear about grind. Let's start with bounce. How can we determine if we have the right degree of bounce 
that's suited to our game and our wedge sets? Well, I mean, again, I get into my respectful irreverence again. Everybody talks about bounce fitting, and and the premise is once I know what kind of turf you play on, I can fit your bounce. Once I know what kind of swing path you're a sweeper, a glider, a digger, these terms you're used. Well, my experience, and, and I'm benefiting from having analyzed over 50,000 wedge fitting interviews, so I, I, I listened to 50,000 golfers in essence, and they tell me that the turf changes from round to round, hole to hole, shot to shot, and over 80% of golfers say that turf is always changing, and the other 15%, I don't know where the hell they're playing, because I've never seen a golf course had the same turf everywhere. I just haven't seen that golf course. And then they also tell me that the size of their divot varies, either accidentally because they're a 12, 14, 16 handicapper, or on purpose because they're a skilled golfer and they're hitting down steeper on some shots, shallower on others to make them all do different things. Well, if your swing path and the turf are constantly changing, how do you buy a bounce that works for you? And I would give this advice to any golfer. Never buy wedges without taking them to your golf course, not a golf course, but your golf course that you know and hit all different kind of shots from all different kind of turf that you encounter regularly, the bunkers you play, the rough you play, the fairways you play, the tight lies, the fluffy lies. You need to take a wedge out. And if if they won't let you demo the wedge for a week or two or three on your golf course, don't buy it. Now, the industry may hate me for that, but that's okay. But you have to see how that wedge performs on your golf course because I can put you on a launch monitor and tell you, oh, this wedge launches two degrees lower than yours. But what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I've been in this business for 40 years. I can't tell you what two degrees looks like. I can't tell you the difference between a 39-degree launch angle and a 41-degree launch angle. But if I see it on my golf course on wedge shots that I normally hit, I can tell you I like that ball flight better. I like the way that ball grabs the green better. I like the way that wedge works the turf around the green. The only way to buy wedges, I mean, I believe you should always buy your wedges in sets. You should really think about the lofts you need to get your gapping right. But you should try those wedges on your golf course with your game. And then we talk about shaft and then we can move on into that when you're ready. Yeah, no, go ahead. Talk about pick, picking out the right shaft. Well, again, taking the industry to task a little bit, I hate to be like the, the Grinch here, but, you know, they have this myriad of loft and bounce options in the store, but they all have the same shaft on them. So their theory is that we can fit the bounce and that always changes, but we shouldn't worry about fitting the swing strength and swing speed that isn't really changing. And I would tell you, for your listeners, if, if there's anything you can do to improve your wedge performance, it is to reshaft your wedges with a shaft that is either the same or closely approximates the shaft that's in your irons. I call it the seamless transition, but over half of golfers now, and more like two-thirds now, are playing lightweight steel, graphite, regular flexes. They're playing something different than dynamic gold stiff flex, which we used to be the gold standard. All wedges still are equipped with a heavy, stiff steel, stiff flex shaft. So if you're playing, if you've evolved like I have as I've gotten older, I evolved to lighter, you know, softer graphite shafts in my irons. Love them. Wouldn't play a steel shaft ever. But but you need a shaft in your wedges that lets you have a smooth transition from that set match P-club 
to, as I call it, to your first wedge, your gap wedge. Those clubs need to feel just alike. And if your gap wedge is an off-the-rack club with 125-gram steel shaft and your pitching wedge is a 105-gram lightweight steel R-Flex or a, even worse, a graphite, you're going to have a almost a two-ounce disconnect between those two golf clubs. You can't put the same swing on two golf clubs that, that weigh two ounces different. So, you know, get your line goal set, get the shafts in your wedges, you know, get them gripped properly, get the length right, practice like crazy if you want to be a good wedge player. So let's talk grind. We hear that word a lot now. They Different different wedges have different grinds. What does that mean to you and what should it mean to us and how do we know if we have the right one? Well, it means to me that if I offer six different grinds in every wedge that I have in my product line, then the retail store has to stock my product line six times deeper. That's really what it means to me, okay? So, but the fact so is, what again, that you've got mean. Well, I mean, if you've been into a store and see how many Titleist Vokey wedges are in the wedge display, there's like thousands of them, it seems like, because they have that <laughs> many. But until you can take a grind and you, you like the look of it, you go, hey, I think this might work for me, you don't know what works for you until you take it to your golf course. I mean, it's really that simple. You have got to take it. You certainly can't do it off of a mat. But and, and you can't do it off of a range because the range, the turf on the range is all about the same. But is your range the same exact turf as on your fairways and around your greens on your golf course? Probably not. So you have to experiment. I would say if you tend to take deeper divots, you want a grind that offers you a little more balance, a little more aggressive sole. If you are more of a sweeper, you play firm turf always. You never encounter soft turf. Your, your bunkers are firm. You can probably opt for a grind that is a little, uh, a, a little less aggressive. The, the, the rank and file recreational player, the eight to 20 handicapper is not going to be able, in my opinion, my opinion, not going to be able to discern the difference between six different grinds, for example, or three different grinds. They can tell the difference between a real high bounce and a low bounce, maybe, but to get into the nuance thing, you know, it goes back to wedges are designed for tour players. And Phil Mickelson can tell you things about a wedge from the first shot than Ricky Fowler can and all these guys can because they spend three, four, five hours a day with a wedge in their hands practicing their short game. They know what to feel for. These guys are, are freaks. I mean, they're, you know, like Tom Brady. I mean, you know, where is this guy's, you know, where, where is his counterpart in the NFL? He doesn't have one. I mean, there are athletes that elevate themselves to the highest level of their art, you know, the the James Harding, the LeBron James, the whoever's. Pick them out. Pick the sport. And But these guys are head and shoulders above their peers, much less head and shoulders above the rest of us that play recreationally. You know, I mean, you know, the guys that won the World Series have anything in common with the bunch of got beer drinkers that are playing fast pitch softball on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Terry, some of the other things we're starting to see in the industry uh, with wedges and, and uh, Callaway in particular has come out with, uh, with a, a wedge now that's got a high toe and it's got grooves all the way to the top. So with that different design, right, you've talked about hitting it on specific grooves. If you're going to make a wedge that has a higher toe and more of those grooves, 
Isn't that just making the ability to hit the shot worse? Or is it actually giving you a better opportunity to make a, a quality golf shot? What are your thoughts on the high toe and grooves going now all the way to the top? Well, personally, I think it's a little gimmicky. Um, but if you like the look of that and it gives you confidence, that's really what a golf club needs to do. My my experience is, regardless of what you do in the golf club, whether it's a driver or five iron, nine iron, sand wedge, putter, there is a certain zone of success, we'll call it, on the face of that golf club that 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 area is not really that big. I don't care if you're playing a cavity back or a blade or whatever, but you can't hit it anywhere on the face of the golf club and get great results. And there is a, a, a little oval, typically, on the face of a golf club. Now, that oval may tilt from low heel to high toe, which it does on most golf clubs, that give you acceptable results. But the, every golf club has a single sweet spot, and it's the size of the head of a pin. That it, it, there's no club that's got a big sweet spot. What it has is a reduced deterioration, a reduced fall off, as you get away from impact away from that sweet spot. Does that make sense? So yeah. if I have, if I have a sledgehammer, you know, I can drive a nail with a sledgehammer and I can pretty much hit it anywhere on the head of that sledgehammer and make it pretty successful. But if I have a tack hammer, I've got to hit it really perfect because there's not much mass back there. Well, kind of a similar thing with a golf club. If I move impact so far out on the toe that I missed the grooves, Having grooves out there is not going to fix that golf shot because I am so far off the center of gravity of that golf club, the center of mass of that golf club. I'm so far off of that, the club is, the ball is not going to get a decent transfer of energy. It's going to twist in my hands. It's going to have a very inefficient transfer of energy. It's not going to be a good golf shot. There's no substitute, regardless of what kind of club you're playing, there's no substitute for hitting it solid, close to the middle of the golf club as you can. Terry, I want to get a, a playing lesson or two from you. So when we're just off the green, 10, 20 yards or so, how should we decide whether we want to take a pitching wedge and hit a low bump and run, we need to take a sand wedge and hit the ball with a little more loft, or we or we should take our lob wedge and try to get all the way back to the hole? As uh, In wedge play, how do we make that determination? What should be the deciding factor? Well, I think there there's a way to approach every short game shot. And I think the first thing you do is look at your lie. Is it tight? Is it sitting up? Is it, you know, what's it going to let you do? The second thing is look at what is the turf like between you and the hole? How much of it is green? How much of it is slope? If, if you're playing a golf course that they water the greens and the water runs off to the front of the green and it's really soft in front of the green, you're going to have a hard time hitting the bump and run because it's going to be very unpredictable. If if it's not mowed down, it's going to have an unpredictable bounce. I think you want to give yourself the highest odds of predictability, and you want to play to your strength. So I think a lob wedge is a real stroke coster for most people because it takes a lot of practice with a lob wedge to really learn how to be good with it. Um, and, you know, you go look at the old guys, Crenshaw, Watson, Miller, all those guys. They didn't even have one. They did everything with a 55-degree sand wedge. They were pretty magical. It's a valuable tool if you'll spend the time to learn how to use it. But I think what you want to do is generally get the ball on the ground and let it roll. If you can let it hit the ground where you, it's pretty predictable what's going to happen to it. So when you're bumping running through the fringe, and I have some friends that are very, very good at it, but occasionally, I, I'm not a big bump and run guy, but I will on occasion. But 
if the if the golf course is managed turf wise with you know watering and whatever that you can get a predictable bounce and you're comfortable with the bump and run bump and run it. But I think you need to read your lie, look at where the hole is, and if you're further out and you're deciding what kind of a pitch, my my theory is goes back to Ben Hogan's teaching. If the pin is in the back of the hole, back of the green, bring it in lower and let it ro- and hit it you know well over the collar and let it roll back to the flag. If the pin's cut close, then you need to bring it in higher with a little more spin. And you know, let the green be your friend and and let it roll out. And I think also, uh, you know, one of the things I think that, Chris, is it's real important is how difficult of a shot do you have? And maybe the shot isn't at the pin. Maybe the shot is six feet right of the hole, six feet left of the hole, six feet beyond the hole to give you a better putt at par or birdie or bogey, whatever you're going to be putting for. You know, you're, that whole purpose of the chip or the pitch is to give yourself the most makeable putt you can. And if the if the best putt would be from behind the hole, then chip it or pitch it past the hole and give yourself that uphill putt from behind the hole. So people don't think about that a lot sometimes, but look at where the best putt's going to be. Terry, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with what you're doing, right? Whether it's on a website, it's, it's on social media somewhere, we got to stay up to date so when you're ready to come out with uh, the things you're working on. We know about it. Well, I've got a, a website, thewedgeguy.com, that I haven't been real active on. I'm planning to get much more active, but you can sign up there, and you can you know, put your name down there to get, get uh, updates when I post them. It's wedgeguy.com or thewedgeguy.com. goes to the same place. And uh, I wrote over 700 articles as the Wedge Guy back in the early 2000s, and I've had more and more people contacting me and telling me, why don't you write again? Why don't you write again? And so I'd, I'm going to repurpose some of my old stuff that was most popular and, and address some of the new things like the things we've been talking about. Well, Terry, it's always a privilege getting to spend some time with you. Always a lot to learn, and uh, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't wait to find out what you've got cooking. Hopefully it's uh, it's some great stuff because obviously we need a lot more innovations in the wedge area and and you're just a guy to do it well thanks chris and i will uh, definitely keep you posted and when i'm ready to to announce something we'll come back on but we don't have to wait till then if you uh get questions from any of your listeners that they want me to sound off on something well you know me i'm never at a loss for words right (laughs) (laughs) you're the best my friend we'll have you back on soon in between now and then all the best to you and your family terry You too. Thank you, Chris. Happy New Year to you. A little late, but Happy New Year. Same to you, Terry. Take care. That's a great Terry Kaler. And again, thewedgeguy.com or just wedgeguy.com. And boy, I tell you what, I'm very excited because whatever he does, and I've got some of his TK wedges from his days at Penn Hogan. And uh, as I've told the story on the show before, the very first pitch shot I hit with, uh, with one of his TK wedges went right in the hole. And I've been sold on his V-Sold design for his bounce. And uh, I think he's done a lot of great things. And I know whatever he's got cooking is going to be absolutely fantastic. So very much looking forward to hearing what's next with that. 